You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Nathan Peternell. Good morning. You guys look good. You ready to get into God's Word today? Good. Go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 13. Um, while you're turning there, I, you know, uh, Pastor Derek mentioned this is an R-rated message. Um, if you're new with us today, uh, or you've just recently started to come to Life Church, you, you may not know how we determine what we preach. And uh, for your benefit, I just w- want to let you know, we don't allow the preacher to determine the diet. We allow the Bible to determine the diet. And so what we do is something called expository preaching. It means that we take a book of the Bible and we go through it verse by verse and chapter by chapter. And when people come to church, we have prayed. Well, first off, if you're a guest today, we just want you to know we prayed for you. We've, we've, whatever led you here, however you came today, we have prayed you in the door. We didn't know any, you know, have any idea what week you would come, but you came today. And so what we try to do is say, hey, we believe that God's got a plan in all of that. And you being here today, maybe, maybe the Lord has some reason beyond what, what you might think is natural. Maybe you just thought, well, I just determined to come today. Well, we believe the Holy Spirit's involved. And the passage that comes up today is an ugly passage. It's, uh, it's just very, very tough. And, but because of our commitment to just preach what the Lord says, we're going to preach it. And we believe that God is hovering over the mess. Amen? Amen. The Holy Spirit hovers over the mess. And he brings repair, but we have to expose the mess to God. And so this passage is an ugly passage. It's going to be hard. I'm probably not going to, normally I try to be more jovial and far more joyful and joke. I'm just not going to do that today. Because there's a lot of hearts that I think are in the room that need the Lord to do something very deep in them. And we want to create a sobriety for just to let the, the word of God sink in today. If you ever, um, if you've ever read Romeo and Juliet or you've read something of Shakespeare, you have read something that's called a tragedy. A tragedy is something that you have characters, they look like they have all the potential in the world, but then something happens in their life and they become derailed. Something happens that destroys their life. Their life goes in the opposite direction than where you would think it would go. And, uh, but, you know, I'll be honest, not a lot of people are reading Shakespeare anymore today. But in my lifetime, I'm 46 years old, back in 1977, there was a, a story that came out that has caught generations now, uh, and most people know about it. And, and so uh, I, I just want to kind of bring your attention to a character, because we're going to talk about how a villain is created, and it may not be the character that you expected to arrive at villainy. In, in the story of Star Wars, there is a character, his name is Anakin Skywalker, and he has all of the potential 
to be this incredible person who's going to help heal the wounds of all of the world. The only problem is, is that there is a fatal flaw found in him that's exposed through pain and wounds. And we're going to be talking a lot about wounds today. And what happens is he's not able to overcome that wound. He, has, he, he does not go about it the right way. And what happens with wounds is wounds will fester. If they're not dealt with, if you, don't, if you have a wound, what do you do? You need to get that wound cleaned out. And, and if you don't, there's going to be dire consequences when it gets infected and then, and then, and then it starts to get gang, like gangrene. Sometimes the, the effects of an undealt with wound or a properly dealt with wound will be incredible, incredible loss. So as we go into this story today, you're going you're gonna to see something that it happens to somebody else. But how many know we can be wounded by that which happens to somebody else? We can carry that. And this is kind of that story. So while our eyes are going to be on a young woman named Tamar, it is the effect of this wound on her brother that's going to really kind of lay out the next seven chapters. And we're going to see what happens when things are not properly dealt with when things go so outrageously wrong. So we're in 2 Samuel chapter 13. This is definitely an outrageous story. And it's something that you wouldn't want to happen in a low-class family, but it's not going to happen in a low-class family. It's going to happen in the royal family. So would you just bow your heads with me? Because I think that there's just, you know, I know when you're dealing with kind of this content that there is a possibility of really, there's some pain involved. So let's ask the Lord to come into this situation, into this room. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you, God, for your word. And I thank you for the healing that your word brings to us by your, by your precious son, Jesus. But Lord, I don't know the backgrounds of many people in this room, but you do. Lord, would you do a mighty work in them? God, may there be less of Nathan and Lord, may it be all you. Father, guide my words, open our hearts to be able to receive it. And Lord, let your spirit hover in this place. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Verse 1, it says, Now after, it was after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Now, if you've put two and two together in the first verse, then you realize there's some people, there, there's somebody loving somebody that shouldn't be doing it. These are uh, some of the 20 children that King David has. He has eight wives. He's not allowed to have eight wives. And he was not to multiply horses to himself if he became king or wives, but he does it. And there's going to be ramifications that, that happen as a result. This young woman that we see here, Absalom, uh, is his son, and he has a sister, and the sister's very beautiful. Tamar, her name means the date palm. 
And uh, it's, a, it's a, a very beautiful name, right? It, it's literally named after a fruit, right? And so how many have ever had dates before? You've eaten dates. They're, they're, they're yummy, right? And she is just this, this, uh, this beautiful, refreshing girl. She's probably the apple of her daddy's eye. And she is drop-dead gorgeous. Her mother is actually a princess, too. Her name is Ma'aka, and she is uh, from right across the Jordan River. Her, uh, her family is of royal descent. So you got royalty on two sides. This girl has been raised as a princess and tells us about her brother, Absalom. Now, this is her full brother, Absalom. Absalom is, uh, he is a special kind of handsome. Next to Samson in the Bible, no other person is really regarded for their hair as much as this guy is. He's actually going to go on to find out that Absalom had such hair that, um, as, this, as this plays out, that he had to have a haircut once a year, and when they cut his hair, it was a full five pounds of hair right? So he is Greek God handsome. And then we get introduced to this third character, Amnon, and Amnon is the heir apparent to the throne. He's the oldest son of David, and he's been given a good name, teacher, builder, counselor. He, he has a good name, Unfortunately, many people with good names don't live up to their God-given identity and potential, do they? And it says that Amnon loved Absalom's sister Tamar. This is his half-sister. Look at verse 2. It says, Amnon was frustrated because of his sister Tamar that he made himself ill, for she was a virgin, and it seemed hard to Amnon to do anything to her. Okay. When the Bible talks about love here and it says, it says you know, that, that he loved her, I want you to know that in the Hebrew, Hebrew is kind of like English where we have some words that we would use commonly, but they, it, it doesn't mean the same thing. Like, I love Oreo cookies, but I love my wife. That's not the same love. If I were to show it to you in Greek... Greek reads differently. It has different words for things that give more expression to them. So if you've ever heard of the agape love of God, that is the unconditional love of God. Or we would say phileo love, or we get our city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. There's brotherly love. We have another word in Greek for love. It's called eros. It's the word where we get erotic. It's a sexual type love and desire between a man and a woman. There's another form of love, and it's called storge. It's the love that a parent has for a child. So there's different expressions of that. I want you to know that this love that we just read about isn't really love. It's more lust. It is, it's described as, as desire. He's falling in love with her was really he desired her because she was so beautiful. Now, I think there's other reasons that she's beautiful. How many know that, that, that beauty is, is more than just skin deep, right? There are other things that make a woman tremendously beautiful, and I think she had a lot of those characteristics. But she lives in a different house than this particular man, Amnon, 
And I would imagine that these are all, these are all young men. This is a young woman. I would put that, you know, probably somewhere, she's probably somewhere between maybe 17 and 21, something like that maybe. They live in separate houses, so there's not a lot of opportunity for them to get together except if they were in public, and Amnon wants to get alone with her. He wants to spend time with her, and he just can't find a reasonable way to accomplish this. And a lot of people would say, well, what kind of man is Amnon? Because we really haven't seen a lot about him in the Scripture. This is really one of the first places we get to see this guy described at all. And really, we find out he's a man of very, very low character. In verse 3, it says, But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab. He was the son of Shimea, who was David's brother, and Jonadab was a very shrewd man. Now, Jonadab is David's nephew, and he is, he is Amnon's first cousin. David was the youngest of all of the sons of Jesse, but the third of his brothers, brother one, two, and three, this is the third brother, that was, that was Shimea. And, and this man, uh, he gave Jonadab, this cousin, he gave him a good name. It means Yahweh was willing and generous. That's a, that's a great name. Sounds like, a, sounds like he was raised in a, good, in a good family, a good family of faith to get a name like that. But this man, instead of looking at God's generosity and his willingness and his love for him, he instead turns into a very shrewd and crafty man. And he is willing, this man Jonadab, he's willing to manipulate and to lie in order to create an opportunity to help his friend get his way. Now the text doesn't tell us that Jonadab knew everything that was going to happen. Maybe he was just creating a situation where Tamar and Amnon could be alone. He may not have known what was in Amnon's heart entirely, but maybe he did too. You know, because if you've ever been around a locker room, gentlemen, you know that men can talk about how they feel about, other, uh, about women. They'll, they'll straight up say, yeah, oh, she's beautiful. Men will, will, will say that stuff. And, and, and they remark about a woman's looks. And because of that, and the way he kind of says the next verse that's coming up, I think that, that Jonadab does know that there's something sinister in this desire that he's hearing from Amnon. See, in this portion of time, incest is it's taboo, just as it's still taboo in our world today. And if you really think about uh you know, incest, it goes against nature because, because there are, are, there's something inside of a brother that's supposed to want to protect your sister. It's, a, it's, it's meant to do that. I, I remember that my sister Donya was a very beautiful young girl. And so there's, there's Paul, he's my oldest brother. He's five years older than me. Aaron, he's my older brother. He's three years older than me. And then Donya's two years old, uh, two years younger than me. And so I remember when I was 15 years old, my brother Aaron left to go to Bible college, and he put his arm around me and he said, Nathan, if anything happens to Donya, Paul and I will hold you personally responsible. I'm 15 years old. 
And I'm thinking, and Donya's good looking. I'm like, yeah, this is not going to be easy. And then she would do stuff that I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I got this responsibility of taking care of my sister and to, and to try and make all the other, I knew what they were talking about. Anything happened, they weren't talking about her getting hit by a car. They were talking about guys. And so I went to youth camp one year, and Donya is down on the soccer field. She's the only girl with all the guys playing soccer. I'm thinking, that's just going to be difficult. And so I, 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 I looked at her, and I'm like, what are you doing? And, and, and so we got up in the cafeteria, and I remember this one kid, and I put my arm around him, and I was, I was like, look, I, you seem like a nice person. I hate to break your legs. <laughs> but you have to leave my sister alone. My dad's sitting right down here. I remember one day Donya came down, and she was wearing something that I looked at it, and I went, go back and change. <laughs> and she said, she said, there's nothing wrong with this. I said, come with me to dad. I walked over. I showed her. I said, your daughter thinks she's walking out of the house looking like this. And we were going to church, right? And it wasn't like she did something really terrible, but the, the Lord just put it on my mind that I needed to bring this to my dad's attention. My dad takes a look at her and goes, go change. Your brother's right. Siblings or brothers are supposed to defend the honor of their, of their sisters. And of all people, it should never be a brother that would rob their sister of that innocence. Amnon's desires were not innocent. I think Jonadab knew that. And he's willing to manipulate and lie in order to spin a tale so that this sinister situation could unfold. Now, Amnon is the firstborn of David. He's the next future king. By ordinary principles of the king and the oldest child, then you would say Amnon's the next one to be king. He's even given a name like he's going to be the teacher and the counselor and this, this person who instructs others. And I know this happens in birth orders. You can have, you can have um, where the oldest kid has, how many are oldest children? You're the oldest kid. How many felt like it's tougher to be the oldest kid than any other kid? Because you're the example, right? You're the example. And this, this man, Amnon, he has, um, you know, he, he's got this, incredible potential in his life too to to be the guy that follows king david but whenever you have somebody who is on their way up the climb of of politics or 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 power a lot of people try to want to attach their wagon to him or to her and to and to ride that that out and that's what Jonadab is doing here. He is thinking, I'm going to help you because you're going to be the next king, and I'm going to be your key counselor, and it's expedient for me to do so. See, these two characters are not living up to their God-given identity. Look what Jonadab says to Amnon. He said to them, O son of the king, why are you so depressed morning after morning? Will you not tell me? And Amnon said to him, I am in love with Tamar, the sister of my brother Absalom. 
And if you were to read this in Hebrew, the, the, the Hebrew has some emotion to it. So it would almost be like, I am so in love with Tamar, the sister of my brother Absalom. There's this sighing that's almost between the words. He's what we call lovesick, which isn't really love. Jonadab then says to him, lie down on your bed, pretend to be ill when your father comes to see you. Say to him, please let my sister Tamar come and give me some food to eat and let her prepare the food in my sight that I might eat it, see it and eat it from her hand. He says, look, we're going to create a way for you to make a request of your father who's very, very busy. He's a very busy man about the kingdom. And David, by nature, was a shepherd, right? That is, it was his first vocation. He's a shepherd, and, and he has a, a pastor's heart, so if his kid is sick, he's going to go maybe see his kid, but he's running all over the place, doing all kinds of things, and he's incredibly busy. And, and, and I wonder sometimes if, if parents just don't get too busy that they don't see what's happening right under their nose. As we're going to see, David is not a very good father. He's a man after God's own heart. He loves the Lord. He's a, he's a great king. He's a bad dad, as these chapters lay out. One of the problems that David is, is he's very inconsistent. Let's not forget, do you think that when he slept with Bathsheba and then he killed Uriah, do you think his kids found out about this? I, I absolutely think they did. I think it became common knowledge. And when you have a lot of inconsistencies in your life as a parent, your kids will see that stuff and they will do what they see. You have, the Bible says the sins of a father are passed down to the third and the fourth generation. And I want you to know that I think that that is a lot about how we live our lives, what we allow into our homes, what they can see us do and not do. It is like allowing dysfunction to become normalized. And then they've never seen anything different, so that's what they do. As we see this situation, I wonder how much David's kids are all over the place. They certainly look like they are. David has cooked up a recipe for disaster, though, because he has had many wives. He's got eight wives, multiple baby mamas, rivalries between children and wives. And given time, it, all this disobedience, because he wasn't allowed to have multiple wives, but he did it anyway. And all that, that, that disobedience was like a tower that he had built up, and it was all going to collapse like a toppled Jenga game. If David had even thought it possible that his son harbored some kind of sexual desire, I don't think that he would have sent his daughter over there. But I think he's too busy, and I think he's really too trusting. Maybe he felt that his kids were more spiritually mature than they were. But things that you couldn't have ever imagined could ever happen in your home can indeed happen in your home. And I want to caution you all as parents, you must be vigilant. You have to be looking. You have to not trust too much. Don't put your kids in a bad situation. Don't, you've got to be looking hard. You have to have and do everything in your power to control that faith-based culture in your home to the best of your ability. 
because there are strong desires, wicked, evil desires that are in a lot of people's hearts that could happen right underneath your roof. Jonadab's plan is sly, and it's a perfect storm of circumstances that just might give Amnon the opportunity to get alone with Tamar. Would you send my sister? That's my, would you do that? Send her over here. David, look, look at what Amnon says. He says, he lays down, he pr pretends to be ill. When the king comes to see him, Amnon said to the king, please let my sister Tamar come and, and to make me some cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Now, it could be that this young lady had tremendous bedside manner. She just had a servant's heart. She, she knew how to bring comfort. She just had a peaceful nature. Who knows what would have been the reasoning that this would have maybe made sense that she would have, was called. Maybe it's that she's a great cook. And, and, and oh, I could see why you'd ask for Tamar. So David sent to the house of Tamar saying, go now to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. Did she suspect anything? That's a question I had. Did she ever feel uncomfortable in Amnon's presence? Had she ever mentioned any of these issues to her father? We have to be vigilant as parents because sometimes our kids, they can't get it out of their mouth, but they're showing it in different ways. We need to watch our kids for their, their behavior, for any signs that our kids might be in distress. And to do that, you've got to be there. Dads have to be there. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house and he was lying down and she took dough and she kneaded it and she made cakes in his sight and she baked the cakes. Now, this was like some kind of like dumplings that they would have that with broth. So almost like a soup. She took a pan, she dished them out before him, but he refused to eat them. And Amnon said, have everyone go out for me. So everyone went out from him. Now that doesn't make a lot of sense whenever he asked for her to come. Go through all this trouble. You asked for me to come. You asked for me to make cakes and then I make them for you and you won't even eat them. And she's, she's like, what's, what's going on here? But he's faking the sickness. Imagine this is what he says to her. Oh, Tamar, will you, will you just please get everybody to leave? I'm so exhausted with servants. I'm exhausted with company. And, and I just want you to stay. You're such a comfort to me. I'm going to drag myself into my bedroom just so I can be more comfortable on my own bed. But would you bring the meal into my room? I'm so tired, but I, I think I'll try to eat a little bit, though. And I think her beautiful spirit just wasn't, wasn't seeing anything. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the bedroom that I might eat it from your hand. And so Tamar took the cakes that she had made and brought them into the bedroom to her brother Amnon. I imagine that she sits on the side of the bed. And he recognizes this is his chance to seduce her. Now Amnon probably knew all about what David had done with Bathsheba. 
David had seduced a woman, took advantage of a situation. I don't think that, that David raped Bathsheba, but I do believe that in this scenario, what one generation does in moderation, the next generation does in excess. I want you to think about that, that a lot of young people look at how their parents live. That's why it's so important that, that we guard our own character because young people are looking. If you really want to turn the, the tide back of all the brokenness and divorce in this world, you want to make a difference in marriages, you want to see the divorce uh, rate change, love your spouse well and model a good marriage to your children so that they won't repeat it. I want you to think about the 60s. Go back to the sexual revolution. I want you to think about all the things that they permitted and how rock music was, was, was coming up and all the different messages that were being poured out there and, and, and that and that sex is not to be guarded by marriage. You could just have free love. I want you to think about how the 60s affected the 80s. I grew up in the 80s. And I know that the songs at that point were way more sexual in nature than the stuff I listened to on the oldies channel. And then you skip then 20 more years and then just go, go all, out to the 2000s. And now we have, we have uh, you know, homosexual kisses on our, on our television screens. We've got all kinds of things coming through the cesspool of our, of our sitcoms. And then you move that out another 20 years and we're where, we're where we are right now. I want you to think about how in those 20-year increments, how things go downward and spiral out of control. The Bible says that evil men will wax worse and worse. Things aren't getting better, they're getting worse. Think about our music, our movies, rebellion in our culture, the way we act towards authorities. Think about sexual norms, sexual taboos, the things in our culture, homosexual behavior, and abortion. Just take all of those things and look at how it is increased in wickedness. wonder how much he permitted himself to do because of what he saw his parents doing what he knew his father had done in verse 11 when she brought them in to to him to eat he took hold of her and he said to her come lie with me my sister now the, his his act his pretending to uh, about about his sickness it's instantly gone and his real strength was seen when he grabs her and he desires to get her to participate with him in this forbidden fruit. And just if there's any questions about whether men should be involved in women's sports, clearly men are stronger than women. And he knows that. He's going to use it for his advantage. Now, I want you to know the Scripture clearly lays out in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 9, it says sexual relations between half-siblings was totally forbidden. Look at what it says. The nakedness of your sister, e either your father's daughter or your mother's daughter, whether born at home or born outside, their nakedness you shall not uncover. You're not allowed to do this. There, there was, it, was, it was clear but Tamar is taken off guard. She goes, lie with me. 
holy cow. And she begins to struggle. And when she answered him, she says, no, my brother, do not violate me for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. They knew it was wrong. Everybody knew it was wrong. It went against nature because a brother is supposed to defend the honor of his sister for sexual advances from other guys. He should never be the one to rob her of it. This might happen in, in wicked cultures, but not amongst God's people. So she tries to fight him off, and she tries to dissuade him by offering him reasons why incest is forbidden. Look what she says in verse 13. As for me, where can I go to get rid of my reproach? This shame, where can I go to outrun that? And as for you, you will be like one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore, speak to the king. Watch this statement. Speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. What? Listen what she's doing. This is a pretty smart girl. Think of me. Think of how this is going to destroy my life. Think about how my reputation is going to be unrecoverable. Where could I go? My shame is not going to still be with me. And if you can't think of me, think of yourself. Your reputation is going to be destroyed. You're going to be despised in this, com- in, in this country. Who's going to follow such a disgusting king? This word foolish You'll be like one of the great fools. It means senseless, especially of a man who has no perception of the ethical or religious claims. And with the collateral idea of being ignoble, disgraceful. You're the next king of Israel. And then she has a third thought. Wait, talk to our father. Now, this even this either means she's she knows there's no way that her dad would ever permit this. Or she doesn't know what her dad will permit. It's one or the other. I, I personally think that what she's doing is she's stalling, smartly stalling for time. I think what she's trying to do is get her daddy to at least know something about this before it happens so that he can save her from the train wreck that's about to hit her life. By appealing to David, I think she's appealing to a higher authority to come and save her from this. Rape is a wicked sin. And I don't mean to in any way minimize it. But there is even something when it happens inside of a family that makes it like a sacrilegious wicked sin. It's not just merely foolish. It's evil. Evil, evil, evil. However, he would not listen to her since he was stronger than she was. He violated her and laid with her. She could do nothing. I want you to think her first sexual experience of her life was a vile act. I think I've told you I've been over to India and I've seen the sex slavery. I've been to the red light district in Mumbai. I've been to the red light district in Spain. And when you have the selling little girls into sex slavery, that's a special wickedness. But when you think that 
they were sold by their family. Boy. Sold because they're, they, it, Project Rescue tells us they, they, they sell these little girls because they're told that their virginity will heal the men who, who slept with them of their, of their venereal diseases. This, I want you to imagine the pain that her body immediately feels, and then I want you to imagine what's going on in her mind. She is plagued in her soul, her mind, her will, and her emotions. This, she's thinking, this is going to follow me all my life. And this type of rape, this incestuous rape, this is not done in Israel. This might have been done other places. This was not done in Israel. And she's no doubt, she's sobbing, and she's weeping loudly, and she's broken. She could probably barely breathe to try and take a breath in. Her heart is torn. I remember, I remember a, a woman who uh, was being, her husband just walked out on her whenever I was in ministry over at, at Eagle Creek. And I remember her coming into Chrissy and my house and her wailing and weeping. And she was inconsolable. I'll never forget the sound of her crying. And I imagine that Tamar's crying like that. And I think right now, even there are some of you that you have experienced wicked things like this. And some of you are even having flashbacks to things that have happened to you. Things that we don't, a lot of times women are told to bury this. And I wish it was, I, I wish I could say that it's just the women, but I think there's a lot of young men who have, who have ex also experienced this wicked, wicked evil as well. And you're, you're having some things play out right now in your heart. So I, I just want to tell you, though, that in the midst of your brokenness, as you're maybe having some thoughts you don't want to admit or talk to people about, you have to let God heal you. And you have to do it by exposing it. You have to expose it the right way to the right people, but you have to expose it for God to begin to cleanse it. you got to bring it up to Him. You don't have to bear this wound forevermore. You can bring it to the Lord. And He can take away your shame and take away your reproach. Tamar didn't think that that was available to her, but it is available to you and to me. As believers, we have to have somewhere where we can go to carry our shame. And you have to believe that God will carry it away from you. She's weeping. She's brokenhearted. And I just want, if it would just end there, but it doesn't just end there. Watch what happens. Look at the wickedness in Amnon's heart. Then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred. For the hatred with which he had hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, get up and go away. Amnon has just murdered her innocence. His heart is filled with murder and hatred. His hatred is more than his lust. And he, he looks at her to accuse her and do the classic thing of blame the victim. Her fear of rejection, her future, her life hanging by a thread is now attacked by the words that tell her not only is she used and abused, but she's trash and she's refuse. Get out of here. Get up, go away. According to the law, a man could not just seduce an unmarried woman without marrying her. 
Only if the father of the girl refused that they would get married did she not marry him. And if he raped her and, and they were permitted to get married by the father, then it says that he was never permitted to divorce her. So having ruined her life, he had a responsibility now, but he adds injury to insult. Let me say that backwards. He adds the insult to the injury. And he's telling her now, go. Now look at how her heart responds to this. But she said to him, no, because this wrong of sending me away is greater than the other that you have done to me. Yet he would not listen to her. He has no remorse, no pity. He will not listen to her. Her heart has been rent in half like a sheet. And he interrupts her pleas. Watch this. And when he called the young man who attended him and he says, throw this woman out of my presence and lock the door behind her. This woman. That was a cultural way of contemptuously speaking of her. Do you remember when Jesus in the New Testament, was in a room in Simon, the Pharisee's house, and there was a woman who came in to wash Jesus' feet with her tears. Do you remember that story? And she's touching Jesus. And Simon says, if this teacher, this prophet, if he would know what kind of, uh, of woman this woman is, He'd never let her touch him. It was a contemptuous way to talk. And now the Bible tells us in verse 18 that she had a long-sleeved garment on, for it was the manner of the virgin daughters of the king. They dressed themselves in, in these robes. And then his attendant took her out and locked the door behind her. Imagine the picture. She's trying to stay. But she's being pulled out. You can imagine she's being grabbed by her hair or she's being grabbed by her arm or her dress. You can imagine that she's struggling as he's forcefully dragging her along the floor in her torn and bloody dress. She's bleeding. She's wailing with cries like, please, 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 Amnon, don't do this. And her fingers are grasping at everything they could possibly grab, maybe pieces of furniture. Or he gets her all the way to the door, and she wraps her fingers around the doorpost, and she's holding on while that, that guy is pulling those fingers off one by one and roughly throws her to the ground. And the thud of the wooden door as it bolted and sealed from the inside, and she is left with her crying in outer darkness. Tamar puts ashes on her head. She tears that beautiful dress, that, that long sleeve garment which her daddy had given her. She puts her hand on her head. She's probably pulling in her hair, and she goes away, and she's crying aloud as she went. She probably passes by a hearth and she sees the ashes in that hearth as she's just bawling and she grinds it into that ash into her beautiful hair, her uncovered hair, and she rips that blood-stained, richly adorned robe that her dad had made for her and her sisters. And even more, after this rape, she wanders out into the street and she's just bawling and she's a desolate woman. It was her way of expressing her grief and her humiliation. She's been reduced to a service or an item. 
And when people hear a woman cry, not all will come to her aid. In fact, they say that you're not to yell rape if you're getting attacked, ladies. You yell fire. People will come to see a fire, but they will ignore the sound of a rape. Who would come to her? Somebody does. He hears that crying, and it's Absalom, her brother. And he looks at her, and he says, what happened to you? He looks at this stunning beauty who has just melted into misery in the span of a couple hours, and he asks a question, and he's dead on with his question. Then Absalom, her brother, said to her, has Amnon, your brother, been with you? First question, right answer. But now keep silent, my sister. Do you notice a lot of people, they don't know what to say? We're not always trained at what you say when somebody's going through unbelievable heartache. And I think he's trying to the best of his ability to say the right thing. He says, has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Now keep silent. And that's what a lot of people who have gone through sexual abuse have been told, keep silent. Keep silent, my sister. He's your brother. Watch this. Do not take this matter to heart. How do you do that? So Tamar remained and was desolate in her brother Absalom's house. There was somebody that was going to care for this girl. It was her brother. He comforts her with the best words that he knows how as she's sobbing and trembling in his arms. Has Amnon done this to you? I've seen the way he looks at you. Don't discuss it, Tamar. Our dad is going to find out about it one way or another. Don't you take this to your heart. Here's what he's saying. I've taken it to mine. I think all girls need a faithful big brother. And do you know in the body of Christ, that's how we're supposed to relate to one another? That's why we call each other brother and sister. I'm not supposed to allow anybody to hurt any of the women of Life Church. As brothers, we're supposed to guard and defend them. We're part of the family of God. We have one father, one older brother who is our advocate, Jesus. He's our example of what we're supposed to be. There's supposed to be this love. And yet, word does reach David, their father. Now, let's see how he responds in this. Now, when King David heard all these matters, he was very angry. That's good. Should we be angry at all the sin and rampant evil we see? Yes, we should be very angry about it. The Bible says, be angry, but do not sin in your anger. But we are to be angry. There's something called righteous indignation that needs to hit our hearts when we see wickedness done. The question is, what's he going to do in his anger? It's one thing to be angry. I think Absalom and Tamar are probably thinking this. It's one thing to be angry, Dad. What are you going to do about it? My father, the king. Now, David had a reputation for justice. He, he did. If somebody murdered an innocent man, he murdered that 
He, he turned around in capital punishment to that person who killed that innocent man. We had seen multiple stories as we've gone through this about that. He has a famous brand that he's known up for, for his justice. Amnon has done a wicked crime, but a second wicked crime is about to happen through David. Absalom and Tamar were wounded by the rape of Amnon, but they were also wounded because of the lack of justice they saw in their dad. Watch what Absalom does with the wound. But Absalom did not speak to Amnon, either good or bad. For Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. David should have done something about this. It didn't matter whether this was the heir to the throne or not. He should have done something about this. There are things as parents that will happen in our homes with our children, and we, are, we, we may not have ever wanted those things to happen, but you are responsible for what you do when you find out about them. Yeah. And, and because Absalom doesn't see dad do anything, he harbors it in his heart. He harbors it in his heart. He hates him. That wound is, is festering there. And as men, it's possible for us to be wickedly harmed by the rape of those we love. It's human nature to want to carry that offense that is, that is committed. In fact, many times we will carry it even greater than the person it originally happened to. Bitterness will get in there and it will bubble and it will foment into wrath and revenge. I knew a young man who was studying for leadership in the church who sought to kill the one who had, assault, who had assaulted his love. Hate is transferable through offense. And you look at this story and you just go, this is terrible. This is what I came to church for? I want you to think of the picture of this girl She's bleeding. She's beaten. She's rejected. Her dress is torn. She's broken. She's crying. She's insulted. And then I just want you to know, so was Jesus. There's nothing in this world, no injustice. Jesus does not note. He bears it all. And he didn't just bear Tamar's story, he bears all of our stories. Multiplied billions of us. He takes all of our sorrow and he walks down that, that road Bearing the cross, ripped, torn, bloodied, insulted, bruised, rejected. And Jesus does something that Absalom couldn't do. Absalom bore it as hatred. Jesus bore it in love. 
praying a prayer like this, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I want to just leave you with this. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. You see Amnon and you see a villain. But Absalom was a loving brother. And by the end of these seven chapters, you're going to see he becomes a villain too. You might think, well, I'm good. I would never do that. Any bitterness you hold on to can destroy your life. If you don't get serious about forgiving people of the wicked evils they have done to you, the enemy will use that to destroy you. He's, look, many people will say, you don't know what people have done to me, Pastor Nathan. You don't know. It really, I promise you, it was an injustice. I believe it. There was never an injustice worse than what happened to Jesus. And I want you to know that he loves you. He does not want you to be destroyed by this thing. You've got to give it to God. Would you bow your heads with me? You've got to give it to God. Whether it happened to you or it happened to somebody else that you love, you've got to give it to God. God can take what was meant for evil. He can actually turn it around for good. He can take the pain and he can replace it. The Bible says he gives us beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for our mourning and the garment of praise for our spirit of depression. He can change us. He can change the situation. We are meant to be repaired by the Lord and then to go out into the world as repairers of the broken. God can use the brokenness that happened in you and he can use it to touch somebody's life because you can identify with them in ways that maybe I can never do. God wants to make you a repairer of the world. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.